0: So let's start it this way. So I am 59 years old. Today's what day? December the 6th. So I am, I am 59 years old and 361 days. So I turned 60 on Monday. Do not clap. Okay. So I know, I know intellectually. And mentally, that if the Lord tarries and he's willing, I will be present to be 60 years old. And I know that in my head. I know that I can calculate for 1963 to 2023 is 60 years. I know it intellectually. But I can tell you this, that the journey from my head to my heart accepting it, Even though the experts say that's only 18 inches, that journey is a real, it's going to take me a few years to accept that. Anybody relate to that? Right? Like, listen, there are a lot of things that we know to be true. Right? We know to be true. But figuring out how to get that out of our head and accepting it in our hearts can be a hard thing to do. Yes or no. Right? And listen, it's that 18 inch journey that we've been talking about this whole time right, the entire series has been built on this idea that there are objective truths in scripture. Whether it's about worry, whether it's about fear, right, whether it's about anger, whatever it's about, there are objective truths in this book. Most of you, if not all of you, have read some of them, part of them. And listen, we can read them, we understand English, we understand the concept, we get it here. But the real struggle is how do you take this, and apply it to this and live it out here. Because at the end of the day, that's what being a Christian is about. It's about that 18 inch journey that we constantly have to navigate in our life because we are people who are built with emotions. Yes or no? We are built that way. And even those of you in the room or online that say, well, I'm not an emotional person, you're just a liar, okay? Let's just be clear. Everybody has that in them because God has wired our brain in the limbic part of our brain to create emotions, to create will, and to make decisions. And so as people who are built that way, who are forced with objective truth to accept concepts intellectually, learning how to live them out is really the struggle of our faith. That's what this is all about. And listen, the closer you can get what's in here. To in here, the better your walk with the Lord's going to be. Because listen, I can tell you right now, I do not want to hear somebody tell me I'm 60. Because for some reason, just the sound of that makes me want to punch them in the face, okay? I know it's true. And I know people say, oh, it's just a number. Yeah, but it's a terrible number, okay? I get it's just a number. I get all of that. But the objective truth is, I'm 60. And based upon the experts, my life expectancy as a male is shorter than a female. So I've got 10 plus years left. That doesn't seem right. Okay. That doesn't seem right. It's hard for me to process that my life has been going for 60 years. I can just tell you, it might take me a minute or two, or it might take me until 2026 to figure it out. Because they talk to people who are 63 and they go, 60's no big deal. Well, yeah, when you're 63, it's not. But when you're 59, 361 days, it's a monumental deal, right? Because that struggle is what we're talking about. And so we talk about sin and repentance, right? And we talked about this last week. Like, here's our, here's our verse, right? Here's our verse that we've been talking about. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18, right? For this reason, Jesus had to be made like us in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, right? Listen, for God to get me, he's going to have to have mercy on me. Anybody else in here need God to be merciful to you, right? Listen, part of your ability to love somebody is bringing mercy to the table, You can't even begin to be faithful to a person if you got no mercy for them. Because the last thing you want to do is be faithful to a person you don't have any mercy for. You don't have regard for them. Jesus needed that, right? Why? Because he was going to be asked to make atonement for the sins of his people. He was going to be asked to lay down his life for you and me. And the only way he could do that was he had to have mercy. To be faithful to that call. So he had to be made like us in what way? Every way. Everybody say every way. Listen, this idea that Jesus doesn't get you, doesn't understand you is just not true. Right? Objectively, Jesus was made like you in every way. Think about how weird weird you are. Right? Think about how weirdly you're made and how different you think you are than everybody. Oh, nobody gets me. I'm not like anybody else. That's not true. That's just somebody lying to you. Because Jesus was made like us in how many ways? Every way. He gets you, right? And then the Bible says this because he himself suffered when he was tried, when he went through this fire, right? He's able to help those who are being tempted, who's going through the same fire, right? He's understanding and able to help you. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's a good thing, right? It's a good thing to know that. Listen, when my, my son... Japeth uh got ready to move out. He he lived with us, he went to college, he eventually found a girl, he got engaged, they came here, right? They got married, then they lived here, and they lived with us, and then they lived in an apartment, and then they were moving. And I remember when they were leaving, right? I was I was scheduled to go to North Georgia to preach a revival. And while I was gone, they were gonna be packing and starting their new life. And that was a traumatic moment for me. I was emotionally devastated. I got to North Georgia and I was so emotionally struggling with it, I didn't even know if I was gonna be able to preach. And my wife, who was the mother of this child, right? She had no sympathy for me. Zero, right? Zero. Then the day came where Japheth and Brittany left. And all I know is that she called me to say this, I'm sorry, right? Because in that moment, she had mercy for me, right? Mercy makes a difference, but you can't be merciful till you can relate to somebody. And Jesus relates to you, whether you're dealing with anger, whether you're dealing with worry, whether you're dealing with doubt, right? Whether you're dealing with fear, Jesus understands you and he's able to help you when you're going through it. If anybody's grateful online or in here, let's just say amen, right? So... What I've learned, maybe this is just for me, but my guess is it's not. One of the things I've learned is as we walk in our faith, one of the biggest struggles that Christians have is how do I get over my sin? Because I'm going to ask online in here, right? And you can type yes in the box or in the text thread online if you want to. But how many of us, since we've accepted Jesus, have sinned at one point, time or another? Okay. Has anybody online or in here struggled with forgiving yourself, letting go, moving on from that sin after you've accepted Jesus? Anybody? Yes. It is a common, it is a common reality for lots of Christian people. But here's what we learned last week, or maybe it was relearned for some of us. And that is this, that objectively in Jesus, we are forgiven forever. Somebody say amen. Hey, it doesn't sound like you're very excited about that. Okay? Let's read this Psalm. verse thirty Psalm 32, the first two verses, David writes this. And tell me if this is not true. Blessed is he or she whose sins or transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person, the man or woman, whose sin the, <coughs> the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit is no deceit. Is that true? Yes or no? Is it is it a blessed thing that God doesn't hold your sins and transgressions against you? Yes or no, right? And here's what we know scripturally. Hebrews says this to us objectively, truth. Hebrews 9. In fact, the law requires nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is, say it with me, no forgiveness, right? That's the way it works. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things, the things in the temple, right, to be purified with these sacrifices, goats and bulls and rams, right? But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than bulls and rams and goats, For Christ didn't enter a temple. He didn't enter a church, a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. No. Jesus entered heaven itself to appear for who? Right? Everybody say me. For who? For you and me in God's presence. Right? He did, nor did he enter a heaven to offer himself again and again because how many times would Jesus have had to offer a sacrifice for you if we're counting since since you've been forgiven and accepted Jesus? More than once, yes or no? Right? Double figures, anybody? Anybody into the millennial? right? Listen, he didn't have to do that. That's the way the high priest entered the most holy place. Every year with blood that's not his own. Christ would have had to suffer many times. Somebody say that's true, right? If he's going in every time you sin, is he going to suffer many times? Yes or no? Yes. He'd had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But look what the truth objectively is. But now Jesus has appeared, what? Once for who? All at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of, of himself, Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 says it this way. When Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he's simply waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, everybody say one sacrifice. One sacrifice, Jesus has made, say it with me, perfect. Everybody say, I'm perfect. Right? And look at the person next to you and say, no, you're not. Right? Right? By one sacrifice, he is made perfect. Come on, let's say that word like we mean it. Forever those Who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit testifies to us about this. And he says it this way. This is the covenant I'm going to make with them. After that time says the Lord. Here's the covenant we have. I'm going to put my law in their heart. I'm going to write them on their minds. Objective truth right here. Right. Then he adds this is the key, right? Everybody online, everybody in here that raised their hand or said yes to ever struggling with letting it go. Here's truth in the gray matter. Then he adds their sins and their lawless acts. Read it with me. I will remember no more. Yeah. Right. So here's what we know objectively. When it comes to sin, Right? When it comes to sin, if you know Jesus, you've been forgiven and God has forgotten. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Right? That's the truth. Now, let's be honest. From the gray matter to the red matter. That 18 inch journey. Does anybody ever struggle with that and accepting that? Yeah. My guess is we all do. Does anybody ever struggle letting other people accept that for themselves? Oh yeah, very true, right? So let's talk about the journey because those are just two of what I shared of nine verses last week, of nine of probably 900 verses that would tell you objectively, in Jesus, you're good. And you're good once and it lasts forever, right? But how do we get it here? What do we do when we love Jesus and we do something sinful? When we do it wrong, right? When we sin sexually, when we sin morally, when we sin lustfully, when we sin greedily, right? You just pick it. But all of us know the pain of loving Jesus and then failing by choosing sin, the wrong we know we shouldn't do and doing it anyway. How do we move forward? How do we move into getting this that's true i was forgiven in jesus once and it lasts forever how do i get that from here into here when i just messed up terribly how do we do that let's talk about it right here's the first one say it with me proud of you waiting i thought you would just make something up right Total dependence. Let's read some scripture. David, we talked about David and his sin with Bathsheba last week, right? If you missed that, you can just watch it online or go to iTunes and see it. But Psalm. David writes this psalm after his sin with Bathsheba, right? Have mercy. Listen to his total dependence in this psalm. Have mercy on me, who? Oh, God, according to your unfailing love. Right, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Right, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The first thing that you see in David's psalm, after the sin with Bathsheba and his conversation with Nathan, is you see David's heartfelt cry of total dependence. Listen, if you're a believer in here, right online, and you have sinned more than once. After knowing Jesus and have found yourself struggling to live out the truth in the gray matter, here's the first step to getting it, to getting it into your heart. You've got to have total dependence on God. You've got to come to the place where you are in a position where your only salvation is in God. And listen, I know you did it once before when you accepted Jesus. I'm not talking about that moment. I'm talking about the moment of adultery. I'm talking about the moment of cheating, of lying, of stealing, of lusting, of getting drunk over and over again, of abusing drugs, of watching pornography. I'm talking about you name it. I'm talking about that moment in your life as a Christian. How do you move past it? The first thing you got to do is you've got to have total dependence on God. David said, have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me, oh God. And I am dependent upon your complete faithfulness. God, you got to wash away all my sin. Totally dependent. But listen to this. David wrote Psalm 32 before he wrote Psalm 31, according to most theologians. Listen to what he said, because this is where a lot of people find ourselves before we get to total dependence. Most theologians believe that this was a psalm written about the same incident. But it's David's life. You could pick any incident, right? Because David had more than one sin. Here was David's words in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent, he says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He says, for day and night, God, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Anybody who's not, who's not ever come clean with God, Or struggled to come clean with God and need total dependence? Know the weight of God's conviction when you kept silent before him? Anybody know that? Yeah, of course you have. Right? Because what happens is a lot of people, when they get into sin as a Christian, they get stubborn. They just get stubborn. Right? They think they can fix the problem. They think they can solve what went wrong. The problem is you can't. And David says, when I was silent before you, God, your hand was heavy upon me. You crushed the bones. You laid it on me. And listen, I've done this long enough. I've lived it long enough to know that most of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that journey, right? You know the journey of knowing that what you did was wrong. And you know the repercussions of the pain it caused. But getting your mouth to admit to God total dependence on him for fixing it is something that lots of people struggle with. And part of the reason why we have a hard time getting from the gray matter to the red matter, how we have trouble with this 18 inches, is we don't want to get to the point of total dependence upon God. Somehow we want to solve it. And it just doesn't work that way. Listen, I want you to listen to this. This is a story or this is an incident in 1 Corinthians 5. Paul's writing to a church like Tomoka Christian Church. You want to find people say, let's get back to the first century church. Welcome to the first century church. Because if you read Corinthians and we're going to preach to it this year, you're going to find that's a church that's a lot like ours. Because guess what? People have always dealt with the same issues, right? Here's an incident that was happening, right, in their church. These are Gentiles that have come to faith in Christ. Guess what? They're struggling to put the truth into their heart so they can live it. Here's what's happening in their church. It's actually reported, Paul says, that there is sexual immorality among you. Listen to it. And it's of a kind that doesn't occur among the pagans or the non-safe folks. A man has his father's wife, so he's sleeping with his stepmom. And these are members of the church. It's reported among the church. And you, Corinthians, are what? Proud. Right? They're exalting it. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief, he says, and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Listen to what he says. Even though I'm not physically present, Paul writes, I am with you in spirit and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this just as if I were present. And listen to the process of a stubborn, unrepentant sinner who belongs to a church. He says, when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, listen to God and how he works with stubborn, unrepentant people, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Hand him over to Satan. Why? So that the sinful nature or his flesh may be destroyed and his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. You see, everybody in here who knows Jesus and everybody online who knows Jesus knows this. Jesus died once for all. And that in Jesus, you're being made perfect forever. And your sins and your lawless deeds, God's God will remember no more. Somebody say amen to that. And everybody in here and everybody online has taken that and abused it by doing something sinful after the fact. And most of us, if not all of us, have struggled to let it go. Why? We already know the truth. Why are we struggling with it? Because here's why. Lots of us who get in that situation won't be totally dependent on God. Instead, we're like this guy. We're like David. We don't want to come clean. We think we can fix it. We think we can cover it. We think we can hide it. We do whatever. Here's what Paul says. God says an unrepentant person, turn them over to Satan. Why? Because he's just going to destroy their flesh, but their soul is going to be saved. Now listen, if you're a parent turning your child over to let Satan destroy them, are you going to have a hard time with that? Yes or no? You notice I didn't ask spouses that because you would enjoy that, right? But that's all. Listen, that's a hard thing. Because we know from scripture what Satan could do when God gives him access. Yes or no? We watched it in Job's story, didn't we? Satan can do all kinds of destructive things. But God says turn him over. That word turn over means to surrender him. Walk him up to Satan and surrender his rights to Satan. That word is also interpreted in the New Testament as betrayal. Because when you do that to a fellow believer, they're going to feel betrayed by you. But what's the goal? The goal is to get them where? Our goal is to get them to heaven. And listen, let's be clear about what's going to happen to my body and your body. Our bodies are already destined to die because of sin. Yes or no? So listen, ain't nothing saving here. This isn't going to be saved. It's going to be redeemed and it's going to be from old to new when Jesus returns. But this isn't redeemable, right? Right? Whether it's 40 or 60, it's not redeemable. It's going to be destroyed. So God says, just expedite the process and let Satan destroy them so I can save their soul. I don't know about you, but that prospect does not sound good to me. And I've lived it. When I wouldn't be repentant, God just turned me over. And it was a brutal, brutal seven years of just Satan just... Having access and having access and having access and having access. Listen, it isn't until you get to a point that David said, have mercy on me, O God. According to your faithfulness, blot out all of my iniquity. Until you get to a place of total dependence in your sin, it's going to be a struggle to get from here to here. Right? Jesus said it this way in Matthew 10. He said this, a student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, Satan, right? How much more the members of his household. Listen to what Jesus said. Do not be afraid of them. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight, Jesus says. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim it from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the what? body but cannot kill the soul rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body or soul and body in where hell you see we spend too much time worrying about satan and being scared of him when the person we should be scared of is who we should be scared of god because it's only god that can destroy both body and soul in hell see unrepentant people people who don't want to get to this total dependence listen the bible is clear about how God works in that. There's an oppression. There's a weight. There's a conviction. And if there's stubbornness. Listen. He said don't be proud of those people. If they're, a, if they're a family member. You turn them over to Satan. And let him destroy their flesh. So that I can save their soul. Hey listen. There's nobody in here that finds that appealing. But that's the biblical mandate. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew five three. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That word poor in the Greek means destitute, unable, unable based upon their circumstances to even find anything to survive. That person is destitute. Blessed is the poor, poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first step as we work from truth to our heart is to have total dependence on God. And here's the antithesis of that. Get stubborn. Get stubborn refuse to confess it refuse to open your mouth refuse to depend on God and think you can solve it yourself listen I can guarantee you in a room this size and with people online several hundred of you there are people who know this experience you've tried to fix it you've tried not to let it go you've tried not to make it a big deal David said I tried it it didn't work the man at Corinth refused to do it God said here's my plan you just let Satan have his body and I'll protect his soul. Because don't be afraid of the person who can destroy your body. Be afraid of the person who can destroy your body and soul in hell. Somebody say amen, right? Here's the second line. Here's the second step. No defense, no defense. My guess is all of us have had this conversation, right? Where you get caught doing something wrong and then the first thing you need to do is to justify why you did it. Anybody in here ever justify why you did what you did? Okay, nobody over here. You guys are awesome. Right? But my guess is we've all... How many of you have ever had a conversation with somebody? Listen, if you've raised a teenager, you know this conversation. Right? Right? And some of you, all of us, have been teenagers. Know the conversation, right? You get you get caught, or you did something wrong, and the first thing you got to do is you've got to defend yourself. Well, you don't understand. Listen, you weren't there. You don't know what happened, and we begin to make a defense for why we did the stupid thing. We, you have no idea how bad my marriage is. You have no idea, right? You, we, we make these defenses about our behaviors, right? If you want to get the truth. And the truth is Jesus died once for all, right, so that those who know Jesus are being made perfect forever and our sins and lawless deeds are remembered no more. If you want to get that knowledge from here to here so the next time you sin, you're not going to get stuck. The first thing you need is total dependence on God. You cannot fix this problem. Somebody say amen. The second thing you need is to have no Defense. Listen to Psalm 51. David continues in verse 3. He says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. My transgressions, my sin. Against you, he says, and you only, God, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Listen, the first thing that David did was he admitted total dependence on God to fix this. And the second thing he did was he brought no defense to the table for his behavior. He said, God, you're 100% right when you judge. You're a 100% right when you speak. Because I know my sin. My sin is ever before me. Because it's against you, God, and you only have I sinned. Yes, do we cause trouble to other people? Do we act Poorly to other people. Listen. Sin is based on God's character. Not your spouse's. Sin is based on God's character. Not the person in the church. That you don't like. Sin is based on God's character. Not upon the neighbor that you don't like. Sin is based on God's character. So when you sin and I sin. We sin against God and him alone. Somebody say amen. Listen. Having no defense for that. Is a good way to get to. The gray matter living in your heart, right? because I don't know about you, but my guess is now that I'm 60, a whole new world of sin's going to open up for me. right? Anybody over 60 want to say yes to that? Yeah, right It's a whole different thing. Grouchiness, temperamental, right? You name it, right? You can be tired and grouchy at the same time. I figure a whole new thing's going to open up for me, right? Listen, I don't know about you, but in 40 years of my life, I've had to live this thing. And the one thing I have learned is this, that if I'm ever going to move forward, I have got to take God's truth and I have got to live it in my heart. Now, listen, I don't get stuck. I don't get stuck because if this is true, why get stuck? But it's taken me a long time to get there. And I can be annoying for people who struggle with this because I have no pride in having complete dependence on God. Because listen, either I'm getting into heaven because of Jesus or I'm going straight to hell. I got no other choice, right? And here's the thing. If I've been forgiven once and it lasts forever and I mess up, I am not, I'm not staying there. I am moving past that mañana. That's tomorrow, right? There you go, look at that, right? I'm gonna do that because apparently now that I'm 60, I speak Spanish, okay? <laughs> who knew, right? It's a new gift, right? But you can't have any defense, right? Listen to, listen to the prodigal son in Luke 15, right? Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. A younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. Dad, I want you to be dead so that I can have my money. But since you're not dead, I just want my money anyway. The father divided his property between them, right? Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he had a plan. I'm going to set off for a distant country, and I'm going to squander my wealth in living the way I want to, right? The word wild living is the word lustful living, right? After he had spent everything, there was a famine, a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. Listen to what happened. He went and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed to his fields to feed the pigs. Jews and pigs, not great companions. Okay? It's so a desperate he was. He longed to fill his stomach with what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. Listen to this. When he came to his senses, what's the first thing he had? How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out tomorrow. I'll go back to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Right. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Listen, he had no defense. He finally got to the point. He said, listen, I'm not here to defend myself. I'm going to go to see my dad and I'm not making a defense. Listen, you're going to do sinful things. You've already done sinful things. And there's probably more you're going to do. It's not the goal, right? We're not trying to advocate it, but let's not ignore 60 years of living. Let's not ignore 20 years of living. There's a good possibility. You're probably going to commit a sin between now and the end of the year. What do you do with it? Listen, listen. Depend on God. You can't fix it. Total dependence. And second of all, stop making excuses. I don't want to hear about your marriage. I don't want to hear about your mom and dad and how wretched a people they were. I do not want to hear about what work did to you. What I want to know is this. If you want this to change this, you can't defend it. If it's sin, call it sin and say it before God. There's no need to defend it. Luke 18, Jesus tells this parable, listen to this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Look at the difference here. Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, a person who was a religious leader, a churchgoer, and the other was simply a tax collector. He wasn't a sinner, he was a tax collector, right? The Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Those people are robbers, right? They're evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look to the heavens, but beat his breast and said this. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Listen, part of the reason why so many people struggle with getting God's true forgiveness to accept it is because they don't want to humble themselves. They want to make a defense. And listen, making a defense and telling your story are two different things. Listen. Every one of you got a story. Everybody online. Everybody, listen. You all got a story. I got a story. You got a story. Yours is probably a different shade of color. but it's all collared in from the human perspective that we're all we're all sinners, and your story may have prompted different sins than mine did, but we all have the story. Telling your story is one thing. Using it as an excuse is another. Listen, David had no defense. No defense. And part of the problem for so many Christian people is they're stuck because they just want to make a defense. I don't know what your marriage is like. I don't know what your childhood was like. I don't know what your current circumstances are like. But I'd love to hear your story. But when your story's told, you got to own your own sin. Because against you, Lord, and against you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight. Maybe you're stuck. Not because you don't have total dependence, because you just want to make a defense out of your story. Sin doesn't require that defense. Because here's the thing. Here's what we learned last week. We have an advocate, a legal representative, who will make our defense before God, and his name is who? Say it with me, church. Jesus. He's our advocate. If you decide to get rid of your attorney, you become your own attorney. Somebody's going to make a defense to God on your behalf for your sin. And here's the thing. It's either going to be you or it's going to be Jesus. And too many of us who've accepted Jesus as our attorney, our advocate, our paraclete have absolutely fired our attorney. And we've now decided, nope, I'm going to make my defense. I'm going to tell my story because you don't know why I did this. You don't know how I was raised. You don't know what my marriage is like. You don't know what's happened to me. And all of a sudden, Jesus can't provide a legal defense because we fired him and we now speak for ourselves. And you know what they say about a person who has himself as a client? Yeah. You just say the word, right? Because you know it, right? Listen, If you want to take what God has given you in Jesus, which is forgiveness forever and your sins and lawless deeds remembered no more, totally depend on God and stop making defenses. If it's sin, it's sin. Just own it. Don't blame somebody else. Don't use somebody else as an excuse. Move on. And here's the last thing, right? Here's the last thing. Heart desire. Listen to Psalm 51, 6. Through 12 and then 16 and 17. This is David after Bathsheba. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop. Right? I don't want a priest to do it. I don't want a priest to dip the hyssop and to cover the doorpost and the altar. No, 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 God. You cleanse me with hyssop because I'm totally dependent on you to move past this. And I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, God, and blot out all of my iniquity. And here's God's desire. Create in me. Say it with me Church, a pure heart, O oh God, and renew that steadfast spirit within me. don't cast me away from your presence or take your holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then he says in verse 16, this, "You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. He says, "The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. You know what God ultimately wants? He wants a pure heart. And the only way to get a pure heart after you've sinned is to depend on God completely, stop making a defense, and repent. Everybody say repent. Repent. Meta na eo. Two words. Meta, which means to be changed after contact with something. Listen, the first time I drank iced coffee and came into contact with it, it changed my life forever, right? Changed it forever. That's the word meta. Meta means to come into contact with something and have your life changed. The first time you give an iPhone, right? Because Android stink, right? The first time you, sorry, I'm kidding, right? Don't email me, okay? The first time you give an iPhone to your child, their life has changed. Because the minute they came into contact with it, it made a difference. That's meta. Naeo, right? Or noeo in the Greek means to think. So here's what meta naeo means. Repentance means after coming into contact with something, you change the way you think. Right? That's what happens. Listen. I lived in Florida for, or Illinois for forty-seven years. When I came to Florida, I changed the way I think about snow. Snow bad, sun good, right? Right? That's the way it works. That's metanoia. Metanoia is coming into contact. Listen to me. Is coming into contact with something that changes the way you think. Right? Now listen. First John one eight to ten says this. Uh, listen, I'm going to take this a little bit longer. It's my last week. If you've got to go get your kids, please feel free. But I'm finishing tonight, okay? If we claim to be, and listen, the children's ministry people are just going to get over it, okay? If we claim to be without sin, listen to this. If you claim to be without sin, this is those that don't want to be totally dependent and those that have a defense. If you claim to be without sin, you've deceived yourselves and the truth isn't in you. What truth? That you have sin. He says, but if we confess, everybody say confess that word ultimately means to identify with or agree with, right? Which means you are agreeing that God says this is wrong. Confession is just your way of saying to God, you're right. Lying was wrong. That was wrong. That's what confession is, right? If I agree. Right. If I confess my sins, I agree that they're present. God is faithful and He's just because He's. This is legal, and we'll say it with me: forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is head knowledge. That's objective truth. If we claim we have not sinned, total, total defense here. We make God out to be a what? God says that that greed is wrong. It's sinful. You say, you don't know my story. Let me make a defense, right? I I have a defense here. I didn't sin. Here's what the Bible says, you've made God to be a liar cuz God said greed is a sin and though his word has no place in your life. Right? Now listen, confession is good. Would you agree? Confessing To God, your sins is good. Somebody say amen. Because confessing your sins to God puts you in a place that objective truth has it. Listen, listen to this. I want you to, I want you to catch this, right? So we know that through Jesus, he died how many times? Say it with me, church. And how many sins did he forgive? And for how many people? Right? Forever, for all, right? So once all sin forgiven forever through Jesus. Somebody say amen. That's objective truth. So why are you struggling to forgive yourself? Because lots of us struggle to forgive ourselves, right? Maybe we've told ourselves that we don't struggle with forgiving ourselves. Maybe we're just not taking it serious enough. Listen, your sin was so serious, God killed his son for it. So let's stop that nonsense, okay? If you want to, you can just spend eternity in hell paying for it if you'd rather. Or you can accept the fact that God took it serious enough to kill his son, right? Right? And he says you have forgiven once and forever. And then you struggle. Why? Maybe it's because you're not totally dependent upon God. Maybe it's because you spent all your time making a defense. Or maybe you can't get to the point of confession. Because when you confess your sins, listen to what scripture says. He's faithful and he's just. And he will forgive you all your sins. And he will cleanse you of how much unrighteousness? All. All of a sudden, confession puts you in the same place as objective truth. When in my life, my my subjective reality, I can finally confess my sins to God, all of a sudden, God's objective truth and my subjective struggle have reached the same place. But how do you get to confession? You've got to repent. You've got to come into contact with something that changes the way you think. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, and then I'm going to wrap it up, right? Paul wrote a letter We don't have it. Clearly, he wrote this letter to get on them about something. Bible says that Paul wrote, even if I caused you some sorrow by my letter, I don't regret sending that letter. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. He says, yet now I'm happy. Not because you were sorry, right? But because your sorrow, listen to this, because your sorrow led to what? Say it with me. Repentance. So all of a sudden, the Bible says you've got to come into contact with something so that you can change the way you think. What did he come into contact with that came into contact with godly sorrow? For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings what? Repentance. And that leads to salvation. And say it with me, church, leaves no how many of you here online have not have not lived that because you deal with regret? Anybody? Anybody here deal with regret for the stupid stuff you've done, knowing G- after you've known Jesus? Right? Listen, the Bible says when you get to repentance, because godly sorrow was what you touched, you can repent, have salvation, and have no regrets. I don't know about you, but that's what I want, right? I want a life of no regret. And we think life comes with no regret, by making no mistakes. Anybody in here going to do that? Is anybody in here going to take on the challenge to have no regrets? Cause you're never going to do anything wrong. Anybody? No. So we better have a better plan for that. Well, what's our plan? Our plan is to repent, but how do you get godly sorrow? You got to be Convicted. The Holy Spirit's got to convict you. Because until God's Spirit convicts you that what's wrong, you're never going to feel bad about it. Because you're always going to justify it. Right? But when the Holy Spirit crushes those bones and puts that weight on you, when that conviction comes to where you can be broken in godly sorrow and total dependence and no defense, when godly sorrow is touched from conviction. You can repent. And when you repent, guess what you can do? You can confess. You can get to the point that you can say to God, you know, it was wrong. I agree with you. That was sinful. And the Bible says, when you get to that point, you can have salvation. And you can have no regrets. You see, what I wanted to know in this, in this study was this. When does my subjective struggle come into contact with God's truth? And here's what I found. The only place it comes to contact with for Christians is in our confession. But how do we get to confession? Conviction, which creates godly sorrow, which leads to repentance, which gets us out of the pig pen and before God to say what the son said. Father, I have sinned against heaven against you. That's ultimately what we have to do. And here's my prayer for all of you. Yes, my prayer is that we would all sin less. Somebody say amen, amen. right? Let's, let's, let's set a goal in 2024 to be more conformed to the image of Jesus. But can we make an agreement that if we do sin in 2024... We'll let God's truth that's in our gray matter get to the red matter in our heart. And we won't struggle in this 18 inch journey. And we will learn how to go from sin to repentance that gets us to confession. So those two things can be lived at the same time. Because I don't know about you, but when you're around somebody who's a Christian and who sinned and they haven't gotten to that place, they are miserable people to be around. They're miserable to be married to. They're miserable to raise. They're miserable to work with. They're miserable people. And listen, I have I have counseled couples for 35 years and I've been in a couple for 34. And here's what I know. A lot of marriages simply suffer and break down because of this dynamic here. You know Jesus and you've messed up. You don't know how to move forward. And you make the person living with you live with that. When all you got to do is you got to get to a point of complete dependence on God. Make no defense for your sin. Let the convicting work of the Holy Spirit bring you godly sorrow. That godly sorrow will create in you a change in the way you think. And that change in the way you think will move you from the pig pen in front of the Father to confess your sin. And in that moment, God's truth and your life are in the exact same spot. And the quicker you can do that, the better your life in Christ will be. Somebody say amen. All right. Listen, it's been a blast. I love all of you. January the 10th, we'll be back in here and we'll start a new series as we work our way toward Easter. Amen, church. All right. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that there is truth that your word tells us that when we know your truth, it'll set us free. And then you tell us that it's your son that sets us free. And Jesus said, he is the truth. So father, we know that the only true way for us to be free is to know Jesus. So if there's somebody online, somebody here, Lord, that has never taken that step, my prayer is for that convicting work of your spirit to bring godly sorrow to those people so that they will repent and accept Jesus as their Lord and savior. And for everybody else, Father, that's online and in here that knows Jesus, loves Jesus, and understands the dynamic of our flesh sometimes winning in the fight, Lord, I pray that they won't be stuck. I pray that they'll learn quickly how to travel that 18 inches of the truth that they know so that the life that they live can be lived free in Jesus. Because your word says it is for freedom that we have been set free. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church.